Here we are in the book of Acts. And as, as we're studying through Acts, remember we're, we're um, not so concerned to look at every, every single verse necessarily um, or to go into detail on every story or event. We want to, you know, we're, we're trying to really follow um, the path um, of the Spirit, the Spirit, the church, and the world, how the Spirit uh, was using the church, raised up the church, and using the church in the world. And so in our, in our previous study, we, we looked at the conversion of Saul. We saw how this radical um, persecutor, this, this enemy of the faith, uh, who had cast his vote against Christians, who had uh, imprisoned them and, and uh, put them to death, how, how the Lord just stopped him in his tracks and basically turned him around and how he became uh, the, the great apostle Paul. So um, after the, the record of his conversion, Luke tells us a little bit more about uh, what happened in the, in the following months and years. And we left off the story with, uh, with Saul uh, going back to Tarsus, where he was originally from. And, and he's, that's, that's where he is now, as we pick up the story. And Luke now, uh, he turns his focus back to Peter. So Peter has uh, uh, featured really strongly in Luke's account, uh, but he was out of the he was out of the picture for a bit. So, but but now the focus is back on Peter. So Peter, uh, Luke tells us about his his ministry. Uh, Peter was going up and down the countries, up into the Galilee area where he was originally from, uh, ministering in Jerusalem, and um, as we as we would if we picked up the story at the middle part of chapter nine, uh, Peter goes to the area of Lydda and to Joppa. And those uh, geographical locations are what we would know today as um, modern day Tel Aviv. So, so that's where Peter was spending time. In the, the, the city of Lydda, there was a man named Aeneas who was, uh, he was a paralytic. He had been in that condition for eight years. And the Lord used Peter to heal him. Peter pronounced him healed in the name of Jesus. He was healed. And, and this, of course, the, the word began to spread about this. And it says, many in Lydda turned to the Lord. And from there, Peter uh, went to Joppa. It was nearby. Joppa is actually on the right directly on the coast. And so Peter went there to Joppa. And there was a woman named Tabitha who was uh, a tremendous blessing in the church. Her Greek name was Dorcas. And she had died. Um, apparently she was a young lady and, you know, she had suddenly fallen ill and died. And uh, the saints were grieving. They heard that Peter was in the region, so they called for him. Peter came, prayed over Tabitha. She was raised from the dead. And, of course, this sent all kinds of excitement throughout the community. And again, many people turned to the Lord in Joppa. And so Peter remained in Joppa for a period of time with this Simon, uh, who is the tanner. And a tanner was a person who worked with animal hides. So uh, working with animal hides was forbidden, um, in, in a sense, uh, by the law. You, you became unclean, ceremonially unclean, if you worked with animal hides. And, and so Peter stayed with this man, Simon the tanner. So this, this 
shows us that Peter is, he's going through this transition. He's being freed up from uh, a lot of the things that he would have previously been bound up in as a Jew. So now in Christ, he's starting to understand that there's all of this, you know, freedom from a lot of the, the bondage that, that they were in it as, as Jews. So um, while he's there in uh, the house of, of Simon the Tanner, this is where we pick up the story where uh, we read together today um, that uh, in Caesarea, 30 miles north, there's this centurion, this um, man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's uh, of the Italian regiment. Uh, Caesarea is the, um, that was the, the seat of Roman authority for the province. That's where the governor lived. That's where Pontius Pilate actually uh, would live there in Caesarea and the other um, governor. So he was there and he's a devout man, as we read. He's a Gentile, but he is attracted to the God of Israel. And so as he's spending time in prayer, as we read the story here, the angel appears to him, tells him that he's to send uh, for this man, Peter, who's in the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. We read the story there. He sends these men. While this is happening, Peter is there in the house of Simon the Tanner. And as we read here in the story, he, he has this, um, this interesting vision as he's waiting for his dinner, falls into a trance, and he sees this sheet coming down uh, with um, these, these different animals, four-footed beasts, creeping things, uh, clean and unclean animals. A voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I've, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the Lord responds, do not call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. This happens three times. Peter doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, but right about the, the time that the, the vision passes, there's, there's a knock at the door. And it's these men that have been sent from Caesarea, from Cornelius. So Peter puts it all together and realizes God is doing something here. So that, that brings us to... Um, verse 20, where we read, uh, the Lord speaking, arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing. And these words, for I have sent them. So something radical is about to happen. The, the gospel is about to go across uh, the final border, in a sense. So they've gone out from Jerusalem and around Judea, but then they crossed over into Samaria. But as we talked about the Samaritans, remember, they were uh, they were, they were kind of part, partially Jewish. So it wasn't a, a full transition. They weren't really considered Gentiles. Um, we looked at the, the Ethiopian eunuch and we saw that he was possibly, uh, either a, a Jew himself or at least a convert to Judaism. But now with Cornelius, we have a man who is, he is a Gentile. He is a full blown, he's of the Italian regiment. So he, he's not at all Jewish. And so what's happening here is that final border is about to be crossed and the gospel is about to go to the Gentiles. And Peter, just like uh, he was the one on the day of Pentecost to, to preach the gospel there uh, in Jerusalem, just like he was the one to kind of uh, confirm what happened in Samaria 
now God is going to use Peter to be the person to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So I, I want to pick up in verse 21, and I, and I want to just kind of, without reading all of the verses, I, I want to take us through the, the 18th verse of chapter 11, actually, because that's where the story kind of comes to a conclusion. So let, let me pick it up there, and I'll, I'll try to get us through it without having to read every word. But uh, so... The Lord says to him, you know, arise, go with these men, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down uh, to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, uh, yes, I'm, I'm the one that you're seeking. For what reason have you come? And then they told him about Cornelius. They told him that he's, he's, a, he's a just man. He fears God. Uh, he has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews. And, and that he was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon uh, for Peter to come. So... Uh, then verse 23 says that he invited them in and lodged them. And then on the next day, Peter went with them and some brethren. Chapter 11 tells us there were six others and they left from Joppa to go 30 miles north to Caesarea. And so the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was waiting for them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, so Peter is speaking, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And therefore I came uh, without objection. Cornelius again repeats the story four days ago. Uh, I was fasting until this hour, tells him about how the angel came and summoned him. And so verse 33, uh, I sent to you immediately and you have done well that you have come. Now, therefore, this is Cornelius, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That is a revolutionary revelation that Peter had right there. We'll talk about that more in detail in a moment. So Peter goes on. He realizes now in every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. And then in uh, verse 36, Peter launches into um, the message about Jesus. And he, he says, um, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, speaking uh, the word through Christ, he says, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, he says, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea began and began from Jerusalem after the baptism uh, which John preached. So Peter says to them, as he begins his message, he says, you know all of this stuff. You've heard all of this. Shows you how widespread the message of the gospel was at the time. And he goes on how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews, which would be the throughout the country, and in Jerusalem, 
whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, those Jews uh, who believed, they were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And so they asked that he would stay a few days. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, so those, those leaders in Jerusalem of the church, uh, they contended with him. And they said, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa. He tells them the whole story about the vision that he had, about the men that came, sent from Cornelius. And um, then in verse 15, let's pick up. He says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So just wanted us to get the whole story there. Um, but I mean, look at what's happening here. This, this is blowing everybody's minds. Now, they, they knew, theoretically at least, they knew that the gospel was for everybody, but, but they had these ideas about how people were going to, you know, get connected with Jesus. And apparently what they thought is that Judaism was going to be the, the avenue through which people would connect. They, they apparently thought that um, the Gentiles because Jesus spoke of the Gentiles, the prophets spoke of the Gentiles. So they, so they would have had some idea that at some point the Gentiles were going to be brought in. But apparently what they thought is that the Gentiles would become Jews in order to become Christians. And what has happened here is God is revealing to Peter, no, that is not the plan. The Gentiles are going to come in directly they're not going to come in indirectly through another avenue. They're going to come straight in and connect with me through the gospel. So this, this is all um, revolutionary. Now, a few things I want to point out. So the time has obviously come for the gospel to cross this boundary. And Peter, as I said, you know, God's already used him in a, a very significant way. So he's going to be the instrument, but Peter 
At this point, even, he needs further preparation. Think about that. This guy was with Jesus for the three years of his public ministry. Jesus has died, gone to the cross, uh, risen from the dead, ascended back to heaven. Peter's functioning in ministry. He's preaching the gospel. People are getting healed. People are getting raised from the dead. Uh, but he still has wrong ideas. That, that's the thing that I find interesting. Um, he still, at this point, doesn't get exactly uh, what, what's going to happen. And so he needs to have further instruction. This vision of the, the sheet that's coming down and the animals, this is God's way of further educating Peter for the work that he has for him in the future. Now, uh, Cornelius was, as we pointed out, he was a centurion. Uh, centurions, um, there are several references to centurions in the New Testament. They're, they're always um, actually painted in a very good light. They're always noble kind of men. And um, Cornelius was no exception. Cornelius was what the Jews would call a God-fearer. A God-fearer, meaning this, that he was a Gentile who had put faith in the God of Israel, but he had not been a proselyte. He had not uh, become a convert to Judaism. So the Jews recognized that there were certain Gentiles that didn't want to take the full step into Judaism, going through circumcision and all of that. And so they, they kind of just recognized this category of God-fearers. And that's what uh, Cornelius would have been in. He would have been in that category of a God-fearer. But even in that category, he still would have been ostracized by many of the Jews. Even though some might have appreciated the fact that he was a God-fearer, uh, they weren't going to invite him over for dinner. They weren't going to really rub elbows with him because the, uh, the prejudice that existed and it, it went both ways, but the prejudice that existed among the Jews toward the Gentiles was, was very, very deep. And um, it was so contrary to what God's original plan was. And, and you see that even Peter, at this stage, you see that he's still lugging that, that baggage around with him and we see it come out in verse 28 when he says to them, as they're inviting him to come in, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Now, this is important just for us to know. Unlawful, it was not unlawful according to God's word. It was unlawful according to the tradition of the time. So there's no place in God's law where God said, you can't have any association with Gentiles. As a matter of fact, God was wanting to use the nation of Israel to reach the Gentile nations. That was his plan. But what happened, tragically, is um, Israel, they twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. So instead of realizing that God uh, chose them to be his special people so that they could uh, introduce the other nations to the true God, they thought that God preferred or favored them over everybody else. And so this led to them developing uh, a racial pride and a hatred toward the Gentiles. 
and amongst the leaders, amongst the, the, those that would declare the laws and so forth, the traditions, uh, they would even say things like uh, the Gentiles, they referred to them as dogs. And they were, they were to be kept uh, as far apart from the Jews as possible as far as they were concerned. So at that time, no Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, uh, even a God-fearer. And so this then is, this is the entrenched prejudice that had to be overcome before Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community on equal terms with the Jews. So a lot of work still needed to be done. This, this prejudice had to be overcome because God's intention was that the church would be a multiracial, multicultural society. That there would be no one people group that was preferred uh, over the other. And so when Peter, when he finally puts everything together, when he connects all of the dots about the sheet, do not call that common or unclean that I have cleansed. Uh, he hears the story of Cornelius and the angel visiting him and saying, send for Peter. When he finally connects all of those dots, verse 34 Peter opened his mouth and he said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That was a revolutionary revelation for Peter. He was the only Jew in the world that thought that at that time. Nobody, nobody thought that. They were still under that, that excess cultural baggage of thinking that somehow the Jews were in a superior position to the Gentiles. And so Peter now, uh, he has this, this revelation, and this enables him now to just cross the boundary and to recognize that, that God is leading him to do that with the Gentiles. So with these words right here, when Peter says, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. With these words, Peter swept away centuries of racial prejudice. That was, that was the breaking point right there. Centuries of racial prejudice. Peter right there says, that is over, that was wrong. And um, he, at, at that point, everything became uh, clear for him. And so God made it clear to Peter through his own vision and the testimony of Cornelius that he had no favorites as between one nation and another or one race and another, but any person who feared him and acted rightly was accepted by him no matter what nation they belonged to. So what Peter essentially said was, God's attitude to people is not determined by any external criteria, such as their appearance, race, nationality, or class. Instead, and positively, God accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So this is the explosion that's taking place right here. 
and, and forever opening the door for the gospel to go to all people. Now, think about this. This is 2,000 years ago. And this was a, like I said, this was a revolutionary revelation for Peter. And it, it completely altered uh, the landscape in the, in the first century when it comes to relationships between nations and, and different races and people groups and all of that. It completely altered it. Everybody coming into the church in those days uh, after this period of time, and especially because of Paul's influence, who really got this stuff, um, everybody knew this. So here's something to think about. How is it that in the 20th century, how is it in the 19th century, how is it that even in the 21st century today, how is it that we still allow um, our, our cultural prejudices, and sometimes that even includes racial prejudices, how do we sometimes allow that to prevent us from embracing, connecting with, loving, serving together uh, with the people of God. It just goes to show you how ingrained these things can become in our lives. And it also shows us that we've got to work hard to make sure that this stuff gets rooted out. Now, when you think about it, Okay, this, this, this stuff is so ingrained in their culture that when Peter, when they hear the news about the Gentiles, when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, we read the, the account there. What happened? They're just looking at him like, is it true? We, we heard this. Is it really possible you went into the house of uncircumcised men? You, you ate with these people? And Peter's like, God told me to. Well, you know, what, what was I supposed to do? And then as he rehearses the whole thing, look, I preached to them. I'm preaching the gospel to them and God baptized them in the spirit. Who was I to say, no, God, you can't do that. They haven't become Jews yet. But that's, that's how um, ingrained they were in that or how entrenched they were in, in that mentality that they had. And we can be just like that today. We can let something from our tradition, we can let something that's a cultural thing, uh, we, can, we can let that uh, affect how we relate to people, how we connect with people. And if there's a, a lesson here, there's many, but if there's one lesson that stands out, it's that we have to fight against all of that stuff constantly. And I think it's interesting that this is so important, a message, that it's repeated twice, back to back. It, have you noticed, if, you, if you've read through, it's like, I mean, chapter 11, the first 18 verses literally are just a, a verbatim, word for word, uh, repeat of what was recorded in chapter 10. You think, well, why did, why did Luke have to record it twice? Well, the Holy Spirit through Luke knew that we needed to hear it at least twice. We need to hear this stuff over and over and over again because it is our tendency to, to get entrenched in these traditional kinds of things, these, these cultural 
things that then cause us to be separated from people that we're supposed to be connected with. And like I said, this has happened over and over again. As we all know, um, Dr. Billy Graham went to be with the Lord this week. And as you have probably noticed all over the news and social media, uh, just all kinds of you know, things about Billy Graham, rightfully so. Uh, one of the great men of the 20th century, undoubtedly, one of the greatest. Um, but one of the things that's been coming out, you know, we're living in a, in a highly charged racial kind of a thing currently. And there's a lot of talk, you know, in, in the culture about race relations and issues and all of that. And um, Billy Graham, in his day, um, especially back in the, the 50s and 60s, um, he was, well, first of all, he was extremely courageous, but he was also highly criticized because he would not allow uh, segregation at his crusades. And in certain parts of the country, segregation was just the way it was. But, but Billy took a strong stand against that. Later, he would say that he wished he had even taken a stronger stand. But, but for the time and the context, he really did uh, take a strong stand. But he's taking a stand, and, and this is the point. Can you imagine? He, he's taking a stand with Christians. Christians who are saying, no, 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 no. We, we can't all sit on the same side of the auditorium. We, we've got to rope this off. We've got to have this segregated thing. When Billy Graham had uh, Martin Luther King Jr., when he had him pray from the platform of one of his crusades, uh, for some people, that was the worst thing that Billy Graham could ever do. So this is how this kind of stuff, it just can stick and stay with people. And, and sometimes they don't even make the connection between the gospel and what it is supposed to do in reconciling men and bringing us together as one people under God truly, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Some people don't even make that connection. And so it's, it's a very real problem in the 21st century, just like it was back in the days of the apostles. But it's a wall that, that God has broken down. He broke it down a long time ago. And God help us not to build these walls. But you know, it, it's not just race. I mean, sometimes it's more, um, it, it is kind of cultural types of things. You know, back in the, the, the 60s and 70s, when God began to do a, a work in this region, other places as well, but I'll just stick to this region here. And We've all heard the stories about the hippies, and some know the story firsthand because you, you lived it. Um, but you know, when, when the hippies started coming to Christ, you know that many, many, many churches, their mentality was lock the doors. Don't let these people in. Because you know what had happened at, the, at that time uh, with much of the church in, in the mind of many people, the church in those days was, it was a place where the good people went. And the hippies were, you know, they were dirty and they were um, unkept and, you know, they, they weren't tidy. And, you know, back then everybody knew that, that 
cleanliness was next to godliness. And so we can't let these filthy teenagers in here. I mean, seriously, that was, that was the mentality. But there had developed a culture. It's a cultural thing within the church. And this is how you were to dress, and this is how you were to look, and uh, you were accepted based on all of these external things. So when God starts doing something like he did here with uh, Cornelius, he just, he's saving these people. When God starts saving these hippies, the church is also all the sudden faced with a real challenge. What are we going to do with this? And like I said, many churches just said, we're not going to let this happen here. We're not going to let these, you know, these, these filthy hippies come in. And so, you know, what Billy Graham did in the, in the race context, uh, in many ways, Pastor Chuck and others, uh, just a handful of others, really, uh, they did that same thing on more of a cultural level when they said, no, we're going to open the doors we're going to let them come just as they are. We're not going to give them, uh, you know, some kind of an external requirement that they have to meet, like they've got to dress a certain way or they've got to have bathed or they've got to cut their hair. Or, uh, But these were huge things. And the assumption on the part of many people at the time is if you look like that, then you obviously were not a Christian because Christians don't look like that, especially on a Sunday. They don't look like that. All I'm saying is that these kinds of things just, they continue to resurface and they continue to repeat themselves throughout history. And therefore, we must continue to fight against that, those prejudices and those kinds of things. And we have to fight against them in our own heart because there's no more hippies around. I mean, there's a few holdouts, you know, still. <laughs> you see them every now and again. Uh, but, there, but there's another group of people or several groups of people that are, are like that. They're viewed like that. They're, they're seen by Christians as those are people that we don't want any association with. We don't want to go to dinner at their house. And we certainly aren't going to have them over to our house. And we really don't even want them coming to our church. That still exists, my friends. And it's something that we have to recognize, and it's something that we have to fight against because it's just so uh, a part of the, the fallen condition of every one of us that, it, that it's hard to root that out. And so as we even would just kind of, just even privately think, man, are there, are there areas of prejudice in my life? Are there people that I'm just disgusted by or people that I just couldn't imagine, you know, having to, to get, you know, close with at all, or, you know, is, is there something like that? And if there is, we have to say, God, help us, help us to recognize that, uh, you know, you, you tore these walls down a long time ago. You sent your apostles to cross these borders ages ago. Uh, help us not to, you know, if we've rebuilt the walls, help us to tear them down again. But help us as the days go on, help us not to build those walls, but to remember that the gospel, the gospel, what, what was really being seen here and will be seen even more the further we go now into the story, now that we've crossed over the, the boundary into the, the realm of the Gentiles. Um, now, Cornelius was, you know, he was kind of a good Gentile because he was a God-fearer. But the next phase, we're going to see that Gentiles who are idolaters, 
Gentiles who are, who are um, uh, immoral and, and impure and, and downright wicked, they are the next group that starts to be brought into the church. And that had its own challenges then, just like it has today. So the, the gospel is to go out to everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Now, there are a few things that I want to just kind of step away for a second from what we're talking about here. There, there are a few things in this passage that I want to point out to us, things that we learn from the passage that um, I think are important to point out. So number one is this. It's not related so much to what I was just saying, but I'll come back to that. But, but it's this. It is not enough to believe in God, pray, and do good works. I say that because a lot of people think that that's good enough. They say, oh, well, you know, that person, no, they're not a Christian, but, you know, I know they believe in God, and they tell me that they pray. That's not good enough. And we should never imagine that it is good enough. If that were good enough, then Cornelius never would have been directed to send for Peter. You see, he would have been fine. I mean, after all, the guy's a, the guy's a pagan who now is a, is a worshiper of the true God. But yet, he still had not come into the place that he needed to come into. And so the angel said to him, um, send for Peter. He's going to come, and he's going to tell you words by which you must be saved. And so we have to remember that in our day as well. When there's strong pressure from certain quarters to just, uh, you know, oh, leave, leave that you know, those, those Hindus are fine over there. They, you know, they, they've got their own beliefs, but they're sincere. And of course, God understands that and he's going to take that or those Buddhists or those Muslims or those Jews or whatever the case might be. Not so. The second thing, and it's connected right to that, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that a person can be saved from sin and judgment. So, you know, again, as Peter comes what does he do? He just takes them right to Jesus. They're all sincere. They're all God-fearing. They're all uh, people who are praying and doing good works. But Peter makes a beeline for Christ. And he walks them right through the, the, the ministry of Christ. He, God uh, anointed Jesus who went about doing good, delivering all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him, but then he was crucified. But then God raised him from the dead. But then he's going to be the one. God has ordained him to be the one to, to be the judge. He actually is pointing to the second coming. So we see through this that the gospel is absolutely essential. And here's the thing that we all need to understand. God will always get the gospel to those who are ready to receive it. Some people have in their mind the idea that there are, there are somehow going to be people that didn't make it to heaven because the missionary got a flat tire. Some guy actually wrote that in one of his books. And, and that's his idea, you know, that, that, you know, I mean, he was criticizing that idea, which I would agree with that point, not his other points, but... But that, that's never going to happen. 
Because God is more interested in saving people than people are in getting saved. <laughs> and God is more interested in saving people than you are in seeing people get saved. And wherever there's a person on the face of the earth, whether they're in the, the largest city or the, the, the most dense jungle or the most barren desert, wherever they are, if there's anybody that's wanting to know God, guess what? God's going to get somebody to him, just like he got Peter to Cornelius. Peter didn't even know Cornelius existed the day before. Peter had no idea there was a Roman centurion in Caesarea, 32 miles up the road, that had been visited by an angel, but God put the whole thing together, and that's what God does. I will never forget learning this lesson many, many years ago when um, I, was, I was teaching a, a, a small Bible study here, probably 1980, 1981, and this young guy, who's pro probably close to my age at, at the time, uh, he came and he joined the Bible study. And I, it was obvious that he was a foreigner, his accent and everything. And uh, I discovered in conversation that he was from Indonesia. And after a while, we got to know each other a little bit. And so one day I was having a conversation with him and I just wanted to know his story. Like, you know, how did you, how did you become a Christian? And his story was very interesting. He said, well, actually, I was raised in Indonesia as a Muslim. And he said, and, you know, there was a, a, just a period in my life where I, I was really, I, you know, I was wanting to know God, but I, I just came to the conclusion that Islam was not the way, the way that I was going to uh, discover God. And it wasn't because he thought that Christianity was a good alternative. He did, he'd never even really heard of Christianity at the time. But this was where he was at. He was, had this longing in his heart to know God. He had already concluded that Islam wasn't the means to do it. And then he gets an opportunity to immigrate to the U.S. So he comes to the U.S. And to make a long story short, in the course of his time here, he comes to faith in Jesus. So this is what he said to me. He said, God took me from Indonesia and brought me to America so I could hear the gospel and become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he told me that. I didn't put the, those pieces together. But that's, that's how he understood it. And, but I remember him telling me that, and I remember thinking, yeah, that's what God does. It's, it's, a, it's a Cornelius Peter kind of a situation, just a different context. So let's know that that's the truth of the matter. There, there's nobody out there that's, you know, because the accusation is that God is unfair. There's all these people that would have gotten saved, but uh, they never heard the gospel. Uh, no, God knows who will receive the message and he will get the message to them. And that, of course, is why people get sent to the mission field. That's one way that that kind of thing happens. Now, just a couple more things real quick. Um, what this story tells us, again, is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. There's, God shows no partiality. There's no favoritism. There's no one, you know, anything of people that God has 
preference for. The gospel is for everyone. We are all equally lost. We are all equally loved. And when we receive salvation through Christ, we are all equally God's sons and daughters and his servants, regardless of our race, our nationality, our culture. Uh, Those things don't matter. And one of the One of the things about the church that we have to understand, and this is where the church is really, I think, tragically um, just, you know, mistakenly um, lost the plot. It is where we fail to see God's plan to take all people's and integrate them together in one family. That's, that's, one of the, that's one of the witnesses of the gospel, you see? And, and when the church has become uh, segregated, whether it's racially or it's, uh, or it's uh, you know, by class or, or maybe it's culturally, or whenever that kind of segregation happens, it it sends the wrong message to the world. It sends the opposite message of what God intends to send. Uh, we live in a fractured world, right? We, li- we live in a world where there's all kinds of division over so many different things. God set the church in the world, and the idea is that he would be able to point people to it and say, here's the way it's supposed to be. But when we reject people who aren't part of our race or part of our culture or part of our social class or something like that, when we shun them, when we avoid them, when we fail to welcome them, then guess what? We are sending the wrong message to the world. God wants to use his church. And this is a, in many ways, it's a strategic time for us, the church, to really rise to the occasion in this area. And that's why I said earlier that we all have to continually check our hearts and have the Spirit check our hearts. Is there some prejudice that's come in? Is there some bias that's come in? Is there some preference that's come in where I am actually going to push people away that God is wanting to draw to himself? God help us not to do that. So, Let's take the gospel everywhere God intends it to go. And where does he intend it to go? Everywhere. Let's take it everywhere. And in doing so, we're going to cross boundaries. And at certain times and in certain places, it's going to be radical. It's going to take courage, like it did for Billy Graham to stand up in his day, like it did for Pastor Chuck to stand in his day. It wasn't the popular position to take but it was the right position to take. And so we, as God's people at this time, let's remember this. The gospel is for everyone. That wall was broken down two millennia ago. <laughs> and so if we've, if we've built new walls, let's just tear them down. And let's make sure that our doors and our hearts are open to all of those that might come in, that they would know when they pass through the doors that God loves them and that he 
accepts them and wants to bless them. And we can go a long way to communicating that simply by the way we respond. And, and Peter passed the test here. He did a great job. He said, man, this is against everything I know, but God told me to do it. And so I'm going to do it. So Lord, help us in our time here in 2018, as there are around us barriers, boundaries, walls that have been erected. Sometimes, Lord, in our churches, oftentimes in our own hearts, Lord, help us to recognize that you came and abolished all of those things, and you have opened your arms wide to all of those that would come in. And so, Lord, may we just be an extension of you in that regard. And may people from every nation, tribe, tongue, Lord, every background, may they know that the church is your church. And it's a place where they can find you and be accepted and be saved and be transformed. So work all of those things in us that you might work through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.